From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, the Supreme Court handing down major decisions on religious accommodation in the workplace and racial quotas for college admissions, which has the left going crazy. First, they came for voting rights. Then they came for abortion rights. Today, they came for affirmative action at colleges. That was MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan. Based on the left's reaction, you know it's got to be good. We're going to talk with uh, Gerald Groff, the postal worker who was at the center of the religious accommodation case, and his attorney, Randy Winger, a little bit later here on the program. And the Biden team is doing its best to sell Bidenomics. Gas prices have come down $1.40 off their highs. That's important to Americans. Actually, inflation year over year has come down for 11 months in a row um, and is now down by about 5%. That was Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen on MSNBC last night. You know, this administration kind of reminds me of these fly-by-night furniture stores that triple the prices, slap a 50% off tag on it, and try to convince you that they're saving you money. We'll look at the real numbers with Georgia Congressman Andrew Clyde, a member of the House Appropriations Committee, in just a moment. And the left's modus operandi, their M.O., is becoming quite clear. They want to push their trifecta of abortion, LGBTQ, and climate on every policy initiative possible. And when people push back, they scream, claiming that those who are pushing back are actually the aggressors. Now, one clear example of this is a 20-year-old program designed to fight AIDS globally, which is up for reauthorization. It's PEPFAR. Now, the Biden administration wants to use the program to advance abortion overseas, something that's not happened before. Well, as pro-lifers have raised concerns, the left accuses the pro-lifers of trying to kill the program. Now, we're going to get the details from New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, who actually wrote the reauthorization of the program back in 2018. All right. Not everything in the courts is good today. Uh, lower courts in about five states have blocked laws protecting minors from experimental transgender drugs and surgeries. The latest state being Tennessee. We're going to get an update from FRC's Travis Weber later here on Washington Watch. Also, the governor of my home state of Louisiana, Democrat John Bell Edwards, is set to veto our state's law protecting minors from mutilation. But the battle is not over. If you live in Louisiana, your help is needed. Gene Mills, president of the Louisiana Family Forum, will join me later to explain. Our word for today comes from Matthew 19. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Well, how might we forbid the children in today's culture from coming to Jesus? Well, 60 years ago, prayer and the Bible were taken out of our schools, and look what's filled the vacuum. Far from teaching them they were uniquely created in the image of God, they are indoctrinated with the twisted and perverse LGBT ideology, leaving them questioning their own gender. Now, here's a warning from Jesus to those who would do this. Quote, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him. If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea, end quote. 
For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. All right, I've been mentioned this all week, but we're coming up to the end of our fiscal year, and we now have a $2 million matching challenge. So if you would like to uh, partner with FRC between now and tomorrow, well, everything you commit to will be doubled. So we've got folks standing by to take your call. In fact, for a gift of $7 or more, I'll send you a digital copy of my new study guide on Nehemiah, Rebuilding a Nation. So give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or text the word GIVE to 67742. All right, as I mentioned this morning, the Supreme Court announced a unanimous decision in favor of religious liberty in the Groff versus DeJoy. This is the, uh, the case where the U.S. Postal Service refused to provide religious accommodations to Gerald Groff, a Mennonite Christian mail carrier who sought a career with the Postal Service specifically because it would allow him to honor the Sabbath, only to have the Postal Service later require work on Sundays. While the decision was narrowly tailored, it set a precedent for employers that they must make religious accommodations unless that would impose an undue hardship. Now, the court also struck down racial quotas in college admissions, which uh, has the left going crazy. Joining me now to discuss this and Bidenomics is Congressman Andrew Clyde, a member of the House Appropriations Committee and the House Freedom Caucus. He represents Georgia's 9th Congressional District. Congressman Clyde, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Well, thank you, Tony. It's great to be with you this afternoon. So before we get into uh, the Biden uh, Bidenomics, let's talk uh, about the Supreme Court decisions today. Your reactions on the religious liberty case? Oh, I tell you, this is phenomenal. It uh, reminds me of a year ago when I was there on the 24th of June. Uh, here we have the Supreme Court in two decisions, actually. Uh, one, a unanimous decision, and another one, uh, you know, a significant majority, 50 uh, or or two-thirds majority, uh, where the First Amendment is recognized for how it is written and the originalist intent of our founding fathers and those who created our country and drafted our Constitution. Uh, No person should be deprived of their religious liberties and and absolutely in the one decision. And in the other decision, no person, because of the color of their skin, should be deprived either. You know, I go back to what Martin Luther King said, where he envisions a country uh, where people are are judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And so I am so thankful for both of these decisions. Uh, I think they're, they will move our country ahead. And uh, I, I'm just I'm thankful for our Supreme Court. I want to move on to the president's um, re- really it's kind of strange. He's he's embracing what was uh, kind of intended to be a pejorative Bidenomics. Yesterday he's in Chicago, basically setting the, the stage for his 2024 election, embracing and running on something that only 34 percent of Americans think he's doing a good job at. And that's the economy. But I want to play this clip and get your reaction. Clip number four, please. Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains are broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Literally hundreds of thousands on the verge of closing. Your response, Congressman. 
<laughs> well, that's an interesting way to look at things. I mean, he takes credit for creating an economy that was going to bounce back anyway uh, because of what President Trump had done. I mean, when President Biden took office, inflation was 1%. Under his watch, it went up to a 40-year high of 9%, uh, close to 9%. I mean, uh, you know, this is the ultimate spin machine here. He is obviously up for re-election and trying to make a bad economy, a terrible economy, an economy full of failures uh, look like a rose. And that simply is not going to fly with Americans because they understand the problems and they feel them in their wallet each and every day. So uh, it's it's you know not surprising that the president puts this type of a um, uh, truly incorrect spin on it. But um, you know, but this is what we're getting out of this administration: not truth, but lies. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. In pointing out that he took credit for an economy that was going to bounce back all the jobs that, you know, the businesses that were closed down because of COVID, you know, when they opened back up, he takes credit for creating those jobs. But he also takes credit. And he repeated this again yesterday. And, 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 and it, it's so dishonest. It's disingenuous. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not being forthright with the American people. He says that he reduced the deficit by $1.7 trillion. That was emergency spending. During COVID, it wasn't supposed to be repeated, but he's taking credit for it not being repeated on one hand. But then on the other hand, he did spend more money, which is fueled inflation in his infrastructure bill. Oh, and and he should be taking credit for a national debt that exceeds $32 trillion right now as well. But obviously, he's not going to take credit for that. I mean, we have spent more under this administration uh, than any other administration in my lifetime in such a short period of time. Uh, So you can see that Biden economics, uh, Bidenomics, whatever he wants to call it, is a complete failure for this country, for uh, the citizens of our country. And we need to get back to what President Trump actually did, where he created the greatest economy in the world. And that was truly not an economy driven by the government, but an economy driven by um, small businesses and entrepreneurship and American exceptionalism. That's what drives a great economy. I want to get your reaction to the Congressional Budget Office, the report released yesterday that uh, we are going to see some significant increases in national debt as the deficit grows. Now, according to the uh, CBO, which is a a nonpartisan uh, entity, they expect the debt to reach 107 percent of the country's gross domestic domestic product by 2029 and from there to shoot up to 181 percent. How can we sustain that? I don't believe we can sustain that, Tony. Um, and, but that's what you're seeing when you have a an ability to spend literally to infinity and beyond, which is what I have been saying. This debt deal that was uh, signed into law by President Biden that was negotiated that gives us a date and not a dollar figure is going to be uh, a, terrible for our country. Uh, you know, it's unsustainable. Uh, you and I, we certainly can't do this individually. How can our country do this collectively? Uh, it's going to just increase inflation tremendously, uh, and it's just not something that um, that our country can handle, in my you, opinion. Uh, Congressman Clyde, you you uh, you touched on the budget agreement 
that was made to, to raise the debt ceiling. The president actually boasting about that yesterday, that he got a deal and implying that the Republicans did not. Play clip number six, please. Just in my first two years in office, my team and I have reduced the deficit by $1.7 trillion, more than any president had. Just in two years. And the budget agreement I negotiate without having to give away anything of consequence reduced the deficit by another trillion dollars. Congressman, your response, 30 seconds. Uh, I can tell you that what he's doing is uh, a spin. It's pure spin coming from the administration. Uh, he has not really reduced any spending whatsoever. He wants to continue to increase spending, not reduce it. And you will see our national debt continue to climb and climb and climb because of what President Biden is trying to do. But we in the House and the Appropriations Committee, no, we're going to stop that. We are going to continue to spend less and less and less because we've got to get this out-of-control spending under control. And that's what I want the American people to know from a Republican majority. Well, I'm glad you're on the Appropriations Committee because there's not uh, that's not a place where a lot of conservatives hang out. And so we're <laughs> glad you're there, and we know you're going to be uh, keeping a watchful eye over the tax dollars that Americans are, uh, I wouldn't say voluntarily, but forced to give uh, to the government. But nonetheless, it's our money. We want to make sure it's spent wisely. Congressman, Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. Always good to see you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right, coming up. Would the Biden administration actually hold up funding for HIV AIDS prevention in Africa because it doesn't promote abortion? We're going to talk with Congressman Chris Smith after the break. Don't go away. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right. 20 years ago, then-President George W. Bush launched the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, also known as PEPFAR. The program has been credited with saving more than 25 million lives, mostly in uh, Africa. But there's growing concern the Biden administration, the most pro-abortion administration in our nation's history, plans to use the PEPFAR program to promote abortion internationally. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Chris Smith, who was the primary author of the previous PEPFAR congressional authorization. He serves on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. He is the co-chair of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission and the chair of the House Global Human Rights and International Organizations Subcommittee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of New Jersey. Congressman Smith, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thank you very much, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my my take on what we're seeing here with this PEPFAR reauthorization is that the Biden administration, like everything else, trying to somehow shoehorn abortion into it. And for those who have been longtime supporters, yourself included, of PEPFAR, are raising concerns saying, wait a minute, I can't support this if you're changing its reach and its mission. But they're saying you're at fault for trying to stop it and you may kill PEPFAR. Is that well? Is that correct? No, it's, no, that's correct. But not only are they doing it or have planning on doing it, they're already doing it. President Biden has hijacked the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. Uh, I'm disappointed that George W. Bush has not called uh, Biden and said, "What are you doing?" You know, there was a consensus, right, left, middle, uh, that providing life-saving medicines and uh, uh, interventions to prevent AIDS in the first place uh, is a very noble goal, and it needs to be done. That said, what Biden has done, he has now said that abortion promotion and performance is integrated with all of our HIV-AIDS work overseas. So we're targeting African countries primarily, but there are some others, uh, who get our foreign aid. And we're talking six billion dollars a year, 30 billion dollars over five years. So he has completely hijacked, Tony, completely a program that was doing great good. But this is in concert with UN AIDS. Uh, 11 different organizations make up UN AIDS, including the World Health Organization, uh, UNICEF, 
the um, um, uh, all the other groups that are uh, uh, promoting abortion around the world at the UN, and the UN has become radicalized over the last several years, and now it's getting even worse. Uh, WHO has put out a call to action, World Health Organization, to attain universal health coverage through linked sexual reproductive health and rights and HIV interventions. So now they want to have every country to have a universal health care plan that has embedded in it abortion on demand paid for by the government and HIV AIDS work and, of course, um, uh, uh, you know, the universal health care. So uh, all three of those initiatives are, are linked. Integrated is the word they all use, including uh, the president. He put out a, a, an action plan uh, late last year called Reimagining PEPFAR. Reimagining. Reimagining means radically changing PEPFAR from what it was before. You know, under the Trump administration, and I'm the one who asked him to do it, Trump that is, uh, we had what we call the Mexico City policy. So that any grantee, uh, foreign non-governmental organization, for example, or sub-recipient of this fund, $6 billion a year, uh, cannot promote or perform abortions. It was working. We were getting money to those who were very focused on what their what their goal is, and that is to end HIV-AIDS, uh, prevent mother-to-child transmission, uh, but not create an, uh, an additional class of victims uh, by funding abortion. And unfortunately, this is what the UN's doing. It is what the WHO is doing under Dr. Tedros. It is what the Biden administration is doing, and it's outrageous, and we're not going to allow, I'm going to fight it very hard, there to be a five-year reauthorization. But that said, there probably will be a one-year authorization, hopefully with some conditionality, as we do it through the appropriations process, but not five years, no conditions. I want want to read a quote from uh, Senate Foreign Relations Chair Bob Menendez. He said, quote, they're taking what was an initiative of George Bush that has been successful across the globe, particularly in Africa, and are now trying to make it a political issue about abortion. They changed the program. You raise concerns about it, and you're the aggressor. Oh, I know. That, that is such a misleading statement. They are the ones who have hijacked. By they, I mean the Biden administration. And there's no other word to describe it. They have hijacked a great program and now turned it into an abortion-promoting program. And the Africans don't want it. But they're creating a, a large number of activists in every single capital uh, that receives funds, as well as throughout the country, uh, training them. And they're also going to be training them to provide uh, – this is through – you know, which is not covered by Mexico City, uh, because on the very first, as soon as he came into office, uh, President Biden got rid of the Mexico City policy, uh, which was first announced by Reagan in 1984 at a U.N. conference where in Mexico City, a tremendous program. Trump expanded it to include PEPFAR, and I'm the one who asked him to do it. Because we knew that the bad groups were like International Planned Parenthood Federation and a whole host of others were making a beeline for American taxpayer funding to promote abortion uh, in these countries. They don't want it. But if you give enough money and enough of the deception that they're so capable of, we see it in our own country, how deceptive the abortion lobby is. Well, in Africa, they're just as deceptive using well-honed skills to lie and deceive uh, in order to kill unborn babies. Uh, and, and I'm just shocked at, at, at what Biden has done. Uh, we're going to try to rein in as best we can. 
uh, on this outrage. Uh, but I, I would hope that George W. Bush, in my appeal to him, and I did talk to some of the people around him, he should be calling Biden today and say, stop hijacking my program. Uh, th- th- again, there was a great consensus in the Congress right. to pass this. Henry Hyde was the prime author of the original bill. There was nobody more pro-life than Congressman Henry Hyde. And I did, as you indicated, the last reauthorization five years ago. But then we had the Mexico City policy, right. which is now gone. And I, and I mean, I remember this from the start. And, and I remember these protections were specifically placed in there. And I know this money will be used to hire those activists to try to get them to change their laws exactly. on life, uh, as well as the LGBTQ. It's the trifecta. Oh, it's change. a twin initiative, Tony. Yeah. And just real quick, Biden has a PEPFAR. It's called the 2023 Country and Regional Operational Plan Guidance, in which they explicitly admonish those who are receiving those funds uh, to change laws. Well, yeah. most of the laws in Africa protect Chris, the innocent unborn child from abortion. We got to leave it there. They're telling them using this money to change laws. That's All exactly right. what WHO is saying. We're out of time. Folks, stick with Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Hey, welcome back to Washington Watch. Unfortunately, uh, those breaks come and I can't control them. And um, so I'm going to be uh, I'm going to get uh, from uh, Congressman Smith some action items and what you need to do to help out on this. This is uh, th- this is typical of this administration. As I said, they have this trifecta of abortion, LGBTQ and climate. And so they try to work this into every program, redirecting resources away from their intended purpose to accomplish their objectives. And as, as Chris pointed out, in Africa, these countries are against this stuff. 
but they're forcing it on them using this money and then often hiring activists on the ground to agitate to change their laws. This is how insidious it is. All right, so um, what I need you to do is is call your members of Congress, your your uh, both your your two senators and your congressman, and tell them to oppose the five year authorization until there are pro life safeguards in PEPFAR. Okay, we'll get that up uh, on the website a little bit later. All right, I was discussing earlier in the program, the Supreme Court released uh, several major decisions today, including a unanimous decision in Groff versus DeJoy. This case was brought by a former mail carrier, uh, Gerald Groff, who was denied religious accommodations to observe the Sabbath. Well, joining me now is Gerald Groff and his attorney, uh, Randy Wanger, uh, who uh, is a part of uh, actually working with First Liberty in this case. He was a co-counsel. Uh, Gerald and Randy, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Congratulations uh, on the case today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, before we get into the details, um, Gerald, let me, can I just get your reaction to uh, today's decision? That is a, a great moment uh, for America, for religious freedom. I'm just overjoyed that be a part of this moment and uh, just to rejoice that no one else should have to go through what I have to now now that the court has spoken. Of course, you were willing to stand for your religious accommodation, which is guaranteed you under the Constitution. And difficult as it was, you prevailed and others will benefit from that. Randy, you you and I have talked about this case before. We've uh, been on the program Tell us about what the court decided today and the implications here for religious freedom in the workplace. Yeah, this is a landmark decision because 50 years ago, the uh, Congress um, ended up passing a law to protect religious workers so that so that employers would accommodate religious workers in the workplace unless it created an undue hardship for the employer. But the Supreme Court, in a case called TWA versus Hardison 46 years ago, really cut back on those protections that Congress had envisioned and, and basically said if there was anything more than, than a, a de minimis burden to the employer, the employer didn't need to do anything for the employee. And, and that was essentially telling all religious workers in America, go pound sand. And thankfully, this Supreme Court really got it right today and has restored the original meaning back in into the Civil Rights Act so that so that religious workers in the workplace are finally protected. So this case, this decision in this case goes far beyond Gerald's case in that this will guarantee that reasonable accommodation has to be made and they said except for the cases of an undue hardship. So what does that what does that mean? Yeah, and that's really that's really what the case was all about, where the solicitor general had been arguing all along that de minimis was the standard. Undue hardship just meant anything more than than a de minimis burden, but that doesn't make any sense. And so Alito, Justice Alito, writing for the court, um, said, "No, no, no. the The standard really is if it's if it's creating a." a substantial burden, a substantial cost on the employer. So it puts the balance back into place that, that people would have thought existed in the first place, that, that an employer needs to come to the table. They need to try to make things work 
for the employee. And so whether the case is, is a Sabbath accommodation like Gerald's case or so many other areas where, where religious Americans are having issues in the workplace, this, this now creates a solution. You see, that, that given the backdrop to this growing intolerance and hostility toward religion, that makes this decision even more significant as I view it. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're in an era right now of, of growing secularism where people don't understand the, the religious obligations that religious people have in the workplace. And so employers are asking more and more, not really understanding the impossibility that that creates for, for a religious employee. Like, like Gerald, who this isn't just an issue of, hey, I've got a preference to not work on Sunday. It's I can't work here unless you make a way for me to do this because I've got a religious conviction. And so, so this standard is going to make it a whole lot easier for employees to follow their convictions and not have to give up their jobs. And that is encouraging uh, because while we have a shrinking subset of Americans who hold those religious convictions with such sincerity, they still uh, should be respected as that's what the First Amendment is about. Gerald, again, congratulations. Thank you for uh, being willing to stand for religious freedom in this country. This is how we preserve it. And, uh, and Randy, thank you. Uh, for the great work that you've done. This is not your first rodeo, uh, but you've been faithful and uh, we're grateful for you. Well, God is good. We're grateful for the victory. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that's good news, folks. Religious freedom. This is, this is I say this all the time when we talk with uh, First Liberty or ADF or one of these other groups. But they've got to have clients. They've got to have those that are willing to stand in support of their religious freedom, to defend it. And that's when they come and stand at their side. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
and to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom, and you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Okay, uh, let me go back to uh, to Chris Smith for just a moment. Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey, who uh, he's been on this program a lot. He, great guy. I've worked with him um, for years. Actually, he's he is the uh, he's tied for the longest serving member of Congress. Usually, that's not a good thing, but in this case, it is good. One of the the most pro life members of Congress, uh, fights for human rights. Uh, I've worked with him on so many things. So he's he's he is serious about this PEPFAR because, as I said, he reauthorized it in 2018. It was a good program, and, and there's been conservatives that made sure that it stayed on the rails. Of course, the Biden administration taking it off the rails, trying to use this money again to promote their agenda, abortion, LGBTQ, and climate. So here's the action item. Contact your congressman and your two senators and say, unless there are pro-life safeguards to PEPFAR, PEPFAR, don't approve it. Don't vote for it. And the switchboard, make it easy for you, the switchboard at the Capitol, 202 224 That's 224-3121, or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right. Um, I mentioned this top of the program. While we've got good news out of the Supreme Court today on some cases, there are activist judges at the lower courts continuing to thwart the efforts and the will of the people to protect minors from gender mutilation and sterilization. And as I uh, also mentioned, the governor of Louisiana is poised to to veto bills passed by the legislature here, which we're going to discuss in just a moment. I'm going to bring in Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council, to give us an update on what the courts have been doing, as we've seen over 20 states enact bills to protect children from these dangerous procedures. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. So the latest is in Tennessee, where a federal judge has struck down Tennessee's law. But that's not the only one. No, not at all. Um, you know, we've got ongoing litigation in Arkansas, where um, the case has been has been going on since 2021, when that state 
passed the first uh, SAFE Act robust protections for uh, minors against these horrible gender transition experiments, the ACLU stepped in and challenged that law. Uh, that, that case has been winding its way uh, from federal district court up to the Eighth Circuit and back since then. The latest is a um, a decision on the uh, the the, play, the ACLU's request that to block to have the court block the state's law, supposedly as a violation of certain constitutional provisions. I think it's a shoddy uh, opinion. Unfortunately, it's just it's not very sound. As we've seen before, uh, some of these Fourteenth Amendment due process claims, uh, equal protection claims. Uh, th- there's a lot of wishful thinking underlying the claim, and and unfortunately. Um, you know, it is what it is, but we have a, a, a bad decision claiming or relying constitutional grounds blocking common sense law, which protects kids from these horrific procedures. That's the latest. That's going to probably go back up to the Eighth Circuit, though, and eventually the U.S. Supreme Court. But as it stands now, you have a federal judge stepping in and purporting to stand in the place of um, of, of experts who, who actually know better. Unfortunately, the judge is injecting a lot of um, his own views into the matter in this opinion, though. Yeah, I find that very interesting. Uh, you know, this is a judge. I mean, obviously, he should know the law, and, and that's good. I, I look to him to know the law. I don't look for him to know medical science. And, and that's what he asserts a lot in his opinion when, as you said, uh, there are medical experts that have testified on this. Now, I understand there are uh, conflicting medical experts on this, but you also have to look at the agendas that some of these quote-unquote experts uh, have in, in terms of many of them are there simply to advance this uh, mutilation of of minors when it comes to the transgender agenda. Uh, Travis, one thing this reminds me of, going back at, at my time in uh, the legislature some 20, 25 years ago, back then the, the, the life issue was very controversial and judges were stepping in. In fact, I had um, a few of my laws that I... In, I passed through the legislature only to have struck down by judges. But we didn't give up. We we went back and we did it again and we did it again and we did it again and we did it again. And guess what happened? That's how we ended up with the Dobbs decision a year ago. So the, the point here is that I, I applaud these lawmakers who are working on these issues at the state level. But we should not at all think that this is over. Absolutely, Tony. And and the lesson is persevere, as you're saying. I mean, look, and people are persevering. Uh, We had one law in 2021, Arkansas, and then there was three more that were passed in the past few years. This year, as of this year, we have 20 states with these laws. There's actually 23 laws, some in the same state on slightly overlapping issues, but all protecting minors against these horrific, they're really experiments on children. That's what's going on here, an ideological driven experiment and unfortunately, as you noted, it has captured some of the heights of our society because the judge, in the opinion of the Arkansas case, what he'll do is lean on claims of medical associations, the American Medical Association, et cetera. But as our own Jennifer Bounds has pointed out in her testimony in support of some of these laws, the basis of these professional associations' uh, opinions is very shoddy. It's really consensus-based, meaning the opinions of those involved not based on long-term academic rigorous studies. As Jennifer's done, if you look at the studies, the science is not there, but they're holding the veil of science over this opinion, as this judge does, right. sadly, in his so-called findings of fact. They're really claims that are they're not based on fact, but, but sadly, many are being hoodwinked into believing this is some good course of action. It's harming many. Thankfully, though, 
states are standing up, 20 states are standing up and stopping this so far. We need more to stand up and at the federal level as well to stop this onslaught uh, because, you know, thankfully, these laws are going to protect many who years from now will reg- otherwise regret what they would have done. Sadly, you know, I think many are regretting this and coming out of this lifestyle. We need to we're, th- we're seeing some of the damage being stopped. We need to stop as much as we can, because sadly, if society is telling a lie to youth and their families and parents and others on this. And we're going to see a lot of damage years from now, unless um, it is stopped right now. You're absolutely right. Uh, a lot of regret if we don't act. Travis Weber, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, for the update. Thank you. So, folks, here, here's my uh, advice. This is far from over. When you're on the right side, you, you just keep going. You're persistent until you prevail. Now, the left understands that. They, they do that quite well. But let's look back on the overturn of Roe. How did we get there? It wasn't because we relied on the courts. To the contrary. We had state after state just kept coming, and they would get knocked down, and they would get back up, and they would do it again and again, and we just need to continue to stand for the children. All right, continuing the conversation on legislative efforts to protect children in the state of Louisiana, HB 648 was passed overwhelmingly uh, by majorities in the state house and the Senate, but the Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards has said He will veto this bill. In fact, we're kind of waiting right now to see if he even vetoes it today. Well, joining me to uh, to talk about this and the next steps in terms of protecting children is uh, Gene Mills, president of Louisiana Family Forum. Gene, welcome to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you, Tony. Appreciate the good work y'all do. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at this. Where does this stand presently with uh, the governor Edwards? sitting on his desk, and he's made a promise to veto it and two other measures very similar. Now, the legislature, and this is much different than when I was there, the supermajorities of Republicans. Mm-hmm. So this is not an issue of whether or not the, the Republicans can uh, override the governor's veto. Right. Some would say this is a chess match to see whether or not John Bell wants to be threatened with another veto override. You'll recall two years ago, women's sports is what caught the wind. Similar issue, the sexual politics of LGBT, and uh, we see that once again. And to a person, every person who's voted for that bill, two-thirds in each chamber have said, we will come back and we will override the governor. Now, when this was uh, kind of on the bubble, uh, actually when it was uh, killed in committee uh, in the Senate, you, you came on the program, we talked about it, and... There was a big push from the citizens of Louisiana, and the senators listened, and they 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 resurrected it, got it to the floor, passed it, sent it on to to the governor. So this is clearly something that the citizens of Louisiana care about. They do, and so do the leadership of both the House and the Senate, who are not necessarily always with us, but they had to procedurally go through the motions and the machinations to allow that redirect and uh, resubmission to another committee to occur. So, yeah, I would say the moms that left would say their hair is on fire. Yeah. We would say their hearts are on fire, and they're, not, they're resolved to move forward on well, this. Well, I mean, this is, this is a common sense issue. We're talking about minor kids who are undergoing experimental use of drugs. Now, we didn't go into We've talked about this many, many times in the program. But these drugs that are being used for this were not designed for this. And so it's experimental uses of the drugs. And then you have these irreversible surgeries where healthy body parts are being cut off to accommodate 
an underlying psychological problem that we're refusing to address because in many cases we're denying counseling. There's no doubt that we know it's a medical concern. We call it dysphoria, and in the past we treated it with counseling and antidepressant medications. Now the left wants to move to surgeries and hormone blockers. I heard one physician describe it this way, and he did a longitudinal study on this to the kids who are in that category. He said, I have a child that comes to me and says, I hate my body at this moment. And the medical professional has to say, I agree with you, and then move to implement either the pharmaceuticals or the surgeries. That's criminal malpractice. Well, and I've talked with Dr. Bowens uh, at at FRC, director of our Center for uh, for, for Life. There's no other other example in which we do that. Uh, Hitler would be the closest thing. We call it medicine, but it's really... It's taking a legitimate institution and putting it to work for illegitimate purposes for political gain. So let's talk uh, just a moment now. We, we, we've gotten preliminary information that the governor has vetoed uh, a couple of the bills that are of interest to, to the pro-family community. But we've not been able to verify that, so I'm not going to go into that. But the, pre- the, the governor, by his own uh, admission, says he's going to veto these bills. So you're gearing up for that. What? Should our viewers and our listeners in Louisiana be prepared to do as soon as the word comes down? Well, don't be caught off guard. We're about to enter in uh, the Independence Day celebration, the birth of our nation. Boy, has changed since those founding principles were laid. And the likelihood is he would release his decision at some point in time when many of us are leaving for vacation or for Independence Day celebrations. The moment that occurs, and prior to that, we're encouraging people throughout Louisiana to contact their state senators. It's going to be the state Senate that he thinks he's got the strongest hand to play in because he can punish their districts with line-item vetoes, and he's doing that right now. He's making the calls to the state senators. There are two Democrats who stand to lose the most, an African-American from Shreveport and one from Monroe, Greg Tarver and Katrina Jackson, who courageously have stood with us on this, and he thinks he can reach them before the people of that district do as well as others. Rogers Pope is another whose name's been mentioned, and others throughout the state of Louisiana that he thinks he can flip on the question of coming back. With this admonition, y'all can come back later and fix this. Yeah. Look, there's no, nobody has a God-given right or a given right governmentally to harm a child. We need to protect them now. Um, you know, I was talking about this in... Matthew, Jesus is presented with a question of taxes, and he asks for a coin, and the coin has, he says, bring me the coin, it has the, the picture of Caesar and the inscription on it, and he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. Well, the image of Caesar may be on the temporal things, but the image of God is on the eternal things, and that includes our children, mm-hmm. and we must not surrender our children in any form or fashion to the state. And that's this is the um, a prime example of the state encroaching upon that which belongs to God, and nothing, nothing, gives them the authority and the right to do this. That's right. So our call to action is contact your state senator. You can go through our website or FRC's website. I'm sure there's going to be opportunity to link to those uh, service providers as well as the information of how to communicate to your state senator and let them know an override session is not optional. It's obligatory, and an override is expected. 
And, and, and Gene, um, this is election year in Louisiana, and so this should be an election year issue. And, and I think everyone running for office who is either running for re-election or running for a higher office that's presently in the legislature, this should be one of the first questions. Yeah. Did you vote to go into a session to override the governor's veto? For that category of lawmaker, this is political suicide to say, no, I didn't. For those who are outgoing, and, and by the way, I just say that's public record, so we'll know we'll know who voted. So they can, they they might think they can lie, but that will be public record. And for those who care about the Louisiana Family Forum scorecard, it's also a potential scorable vote. Uh, I would highly recommend that that be the case, <laughs> uh, because this is this, this is not something to deal with later. It's something to deal with right now. All right, Gene Mills, uh, give your website out uh, one more time. LouisianaFamilyForum.org. Go to the 62nd Brigade, and you can sign on and register your concerns in a matter of a minute. All right, Gene Mills, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate the great work you do at the Louisiana Family Forum. Thank you, Tony. Y'all keep it up as well. All right, uh, Gene Mills, president of the family of the Louisiana Family Forum. Uh, yeah, that's right. I just <laughs> just promoted you there. All right, folks, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And, and remember these action items. Uh, you got to contact your congressmen and your senators regarding the PEPFAR reauthorization. And if you live in Louisiana, roll up your sleeves. Time to go to work to make sure children here in this state are protected. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.